Live from the Bill's Famous Cheese Spread Studios in the Downstairs Pub. Another bonus edition of the Blockout Sports Pod is back on the air. From behind the master control desk in the aforementioned Downstairs Pub, I am your host and moderator for this evening. My name is Travis Carter. Uh, As we did last week with our bonus episode relative to the Indianapolis 500, Tuna and Freddie have the evening off, but I have another special guest uh, lined up tonight, and we will get to him in just a moment. First of all, I want to uh, mention to all the folks that listened to part one of our Indianapolis 500 uh, series last week and uh, reached out to me. I really appreciate that. Uh, I know Alan appreciated it as well. We had a great time talking about all things Indianapolis 500, and Alan and I actually were at the uh, Speedway this past weekend, as I know my guest was also. Um, We will be recording a normal episode of The Blockout tomorrow night at regular time. It will release on Friday uh, at normal time. Um, A couple of quick things to get to before we introduce our guest for this evening Um, it's race week in Indianapolis. The Indy 500 will, uh, the green flag will drop right around noon on this coming Sunday. Um, as I mentioned before, Alan and I were at the Speedway for Fast Friday and then for Qualifications Day on Saturday. Uh, as always, had a great time. Uh, if you've never had the opportunity to go and you're worried about the big crowds on race day, I would implore you to go to a practice day or to a day of qualifications. It's easy to get around. It's inexpensive um, relative to most sporting events that uh, you would be, you know, paying top dollar for. Uh, Parking is inexpensive and it's, uh, It's an easy in and out, and it's a great day at the Speedway. So uh, I would ask you that if you've never done that, to maybe uh, think about it and give it a shot next year. Um, That being said, I would like to introduce our guest for this evening. Um, I first met this guy probably in about 1988, and he can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, We grew up in the same town of Bloomington, Indiana. We both grew up uh, with different perspectives, but both with a a unique appreciation for what the Indianapolis Motor Speedway means. And he has also been, for the last several years, um, how I have been able to attend every race minus the COVID year since I think the 99th running of the 500. Um, this of course will be running one, 107 of the greatest spectacle in racing. My guest right now, a great friend of mine and a, uh, great, uh, ambassador and a fan of the Indianapolis motor speedway is Mr. Eric Pittner. Eric, how are we doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing great, Travis. Thanks for having me on. Um, now you live in, Brownsburg, Indiana, and for perspective to those folks that might not be familiar with that area, um, about how far is that from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? I'm about 15 minutes or so northwest of the track. And how long does it typically take us on race morning to get to our parking spot just a couple of blocks from the speedway? Um. By the time we leave our house to we're parked, it's about 17 minutes. <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want people to understand that this that is not a normal thing. Um, if you get on social media, I'm on a lot of Indianapolis 500 Facebook groups, and everybody says if you want to see any of the pre-race festivities, you need to leave, even if you're within, say, the area where Eric lives relative to the track, they recommend that you leave at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. What time do we typically leave your house to go to the track, Eric? 
I think we've been leaving like at eleven or eleven fifteen for a twelve for a twelve thirty green flag. I think <laughs> it really is. I mean, we are very fortunate in the way that we are able to go to the race, but it can be a bit of a nightmare, especially if you're not familiar with the area or you don't know uh, exactly where you're going, or you don't have a dedicated parking spot, which is another. Kind of a, as we were, Alan and I were talking about last week, fun little side traditions to the Indianapolis 500. Eric, how long has your family been parking where we park to this day for the 500? Uh, I think my dad um, first secured that spot about 35 or 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And it's the... It's those little things like, and uh, it's a guy's house who lives just a couple of blocks from the speedway. Uh, fortunately, on the right end of the of the track for us, our tickets are uh, a little down and outside of turn one. Um, <clears throat> Eric, you mentioned your dad, and I know that the first time that I really met and talked to your dad. Uh, was the first time that I was fortunate enough to be invited to go to the race with you guys. And I was not familiar with his story and how uh, connected he was to certain personalities that uh, were involved in the 500 in years past. And you want to talk about a guy who has story on story on story, and for a 500 fanatic like myself, I never get tired of hearing them. Why don't you talk a little bit about your dad and how he was introduced not only to the 500, but to the people that he got to know along the way. And then uh, what that allowed you to experience later on in life. Yeah. So certainly. So, you know, my, my father was in the auto business um, as a dealer for uh, salesman, salesman, sales manager, general manager, um, for the better part of 50 odd years. And, uh, and so in the early seventies, the dealer that he was working for introduced him to a gentleman named Bruce Walkup, uh, who at the time, I believe he was the president of First National Bank out in Terre Haute, um, which uh, was a, a pretty prominent, uh, you know, uh, company uh, is, is with USAC. Uh, uh, if you're not familiar with USAC, that was, you know, the, uh, the music cars, it's a silver, you know, uh, USAC Silver Series, and, and those guys, you know, ran all over not only speedways, you know, little a quarter mile, you know, dirt concrete and dirt speedways all over Indiana, but all over the Midwest. And so, uh, and of course, uh, you know, Bruce had a lot of connections in racing and uh, knew a lot of, knew a lot of people. And so uh, as dad um, became good friends with Bruce, then that kind of opened up the doors to, to get into the inner circle uh, of the speedway at that time. And so, um, you know, and so dad was able to, to, you know, meet, uh, a lot of you know people's a lot of names that people know and so um he actually became really good friends um with a uh, a legendary uh, car owner uh, jc agajanian uh, who was out of california um and they called him aggie uh, and aggie ran cars uh in the 50s 60s and 70s uh at the track and so dad and aggie became pretty good friends and um and it allowed uh, him to to meet a lot of you know uh, a lot of big names. I mean, um, I, I think Travis has seen the picture of my dad uh, on pit lane. I think it's qualification Saturday, 1974, when there was 150,000 people there. And my dad's standing there with uh, you know, J.C. Agadani and Evil Knievel. Um, but actually, <laughs> actually, Eric, I can, uh, if I turn my head slightly to the left, I can see that photo from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah, it's... yeah, I forgot that you got a copy. That you got a copy of that picture. And and the cool thing about J.C. Agajanian is not only was he a uh, Indianapolis 500 car owner of great renown, he was also the original promoter that kind of gave Evil Knievel his first big break. Isn't that right? Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. So that's why Evil was there, and so. Um, and I'm sure Travis, you've heard some of the stories that, you know, um, uh, my dad would go up for uh, practice or qualifications and then inevitably would end up, uh, in a room at the Speedway Motel, um, playing gin rummy with Parnelli Jones. 
Um, and so, um, and so he, that's kind of how he got his connection to the speedway. And then, um, in fact, my first race, uh, that I ever went to, uh, we sat in Aggie's seats, um, that he had given to my dad personally. Um, and they're to this day, still the best seats in the house. Um, and they're virtually impossible to get. They're like, you know, Notre Dame football tickets or something like that. You gotta, they get passed down to generations. They never change hands. They never leave a family, but, um, and so we sat in Standy Penthouse, Section One, Row One, seats one, two, three, four, right in the very front, overhang right in the middle of Turn One. You can see, <laughs> you know, out of Turn Four, all the way down the main street. And so we, you know, and so he had those seats for a long time. Um, and then, um, and then after Aggie died, his son Carrie, you know, rightfully so, took him back because they never belonged to my dad in the first place. They were family tickets, and so. Um, we sat in turn two for quite a long time, um, really good seats um, in the middle of turn two. Um, and then uh, we moved to turn one just because it's a little bit easier of a walk. Um, and so we've been sitting there for, gosh, I don't know. It's got to be eight or ten years now at least, I guess. Well, those are the seats that I've been sitting in with you guys since I started going. And that was, what, some eight years ago, I guess, seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um I know that, uh, oh, just a quick side note on J.C. Agajanian, and you mentioned his son. Um, His son apparently has a bit of that promoter gene as well because his son was one of the first proponents of the band Van Halen and used to, uh, and I was reading a book about Van Halen and his name popped up. Just, I didn't expect to see it, but when JC would go out of town, obviously they had a huge estate out in California. And when JC and his, and his wife or whatever would go out of town, his son would throw these huge parties and have Van Halen, who was then an unsigned band come and play up until the, up until the point where, uh, there were three or 4,000 people trying to break down the fence and get into their backyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. Um, yeah. So yeah, and I can remember one, one, I mean, I remember that all I'll have forever is, uh, you know, the, uh, and you're, and you're familiar with it, uh, Travis, but you know, they used to run, um, spring car races, um, the night before the 500 team, you state fairgrounds on the dirt track there. Sure. Um, I think it's a half mile dirt track, and, uh, and so that was, um, and that was a huge event. I mean, they, they packed that place every year, um, and I'd love to see something like that come back. But I can remember being a little kid, I don't know, maybe maybe eight or nine years old or something, and uh, so we went up for the races one night, and uh, and and so we're sitting with it. You know, they called it a suite, but it was the state fairgrounds in the early '80s, so it was not like today's suites. You know what I mean? It was, right. it was a room with some. It was a private <laughs> right. room with some folding chairs. <laughs> right. Folding chairs in it, right? And I can remember sitting there with my brother, and, and we're sitting in the front and, and looking through the window, watching the midget car races. And I get a tap on my shoulder, and uh, the guy says, "Hey, kid, you want some popcorn?" And I turn around, and it's uh, it's James Garner from the Rockford Files. And so, um, and I and I was like, you know, my eyes are like, and so he says, "Yeah, your dad tells me you guys are big race fans." And so Bruce Bruce knew, you know, James Garner, you know, really well because he was a huge huge race fan i mean and so he was at you know he was at the 500 of course uh james you know, garner not only from the rockford files but uh one of the stars of the movie grand prix um mm-hmm. uh, famous for doing his own stunt driving and also uh competed in a lot of uh a lot of legitimate auto races uh from time to time and 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 regular listeners to this show will know that uh any mention of the Rockford Files to me automatically garners you favored guest status. <laughs> well, have you have you seen that picture, Travis, from um, from the track uh, and and, Jim, and James Garner's driving an Oldsmobile eighty eight with it with the removable top on it, and Tony George is in the uh, front seat. And then I can't remember who was in the back seat, but they had the Chris Schenkel from ABC Sports was doing a interview and a microphone and headphones on. And these guys were all flying around the track, and 
I don't remember what how the exact version of the events went down, but apparently they ended up, you know, flagging them down because they were going. Sorry for that uh, brief technical difficulties glitch. This is, in fact, our first time uh, ever having someone on the Blockout Pod via the telephone, via the Blockout Sports Pod hotline. So something like that was bound to happen uh, <laughs> at some point during the recording tonight. But, Eric, uh, you were just talking about uh, that picture of James Garner uh, driving the pace car, and if I'm not mistaken, and some of our historians out there could maybe correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I believe that that was 1977, not only Tony Holman's last race uh, as president of the Speedway uh, before he passed away, but also uh, the day that A.J. Foyt won his fourth Indianapolis 500. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so I got the picture right now. So, yeah, so James Garner's driving, and there's an official in the passenger seat, face, you know, facing the back seat, trying to hold his hat on, and Tony George sitting in the middle of the, of the back seat and with uh, Chris Schenkel from ABC News on the on microphone. So, yeah, was, yeah, you're right. It's 77, it's the Oldsmobile 88, that he drove the pace car, so. And, you know, it's it's things like that, and, and you obviously have had a very unique opportunity to be around some of the you know really the household names for people of 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 a certain age uh jc agajanian being someone that i think that as successful as he was maybe doesn't get as much um i'm i'm not sure what the what the right word is maybe he's not thought of anymore as one of the great owners of all time just because of the passage of time but i but i think without question he's one of the greatest car owners at indianapolis of all time oh yeah without a doubt certainly so i mean but that was you know he was a quiet guy he was unassumingly quiet and so and and, and it was a different it was just such a different you know environment back then as far as recognition and and, and that kind of stuff and you had to think, Travis. These are these are race car drivers who had jobs during the week, right? I know. You know what I mean? Like they were, <laughs> and they they lived they only lived and worked in Speedway, Indiana, and so you know maybe he was a mechanic or something Monday through Friday, and then, you know Friday night would come along and they'd go hop in a midget car or whatever, and and they'd work their way up because that was really how you had to to get to the to get to IndyCar. You know, you had to be coming up through you know, USAC or Silver Series or, or something along those lines. Right, and as you mentioned, uh, the money wasn't obviously anything close to what the money is today. And these guys that would race in the 500, even the even the household names that you would know, would drive just about anything anywhere because they were trying to make a living. And right. to that point... Uh, you have told me an interesting story before about uh, seeing, as I mentioned before, the uh, one of the four-time winners of the 500 and a, and a household name relative to auto racing, A.J. Foyt. Tell me what you saw him race one time right before the 500. Well, it was the same night that uh, I met James Garner at the fairgrounds. So after the... Um sprint car races they had uh semi-truck races you know and so those old kenworth singles you know no sleeper cab old you know 1970s semi-trucks and so um aj was there that night and uh he just walked down to the pits and talked himself into a ride and so the next thing you know here's aj Ford, the four-time 500 winner you know racing a semi-truck uh, at nine o'clock at night the night before the 500, um, <laughs> which, which you can never get away with today. Cause your sponsors would have a shit fit, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, so he just, he just commanded a ride and next thing you know, he's racing. Can you imagine, uh, can you imagine like, uh, you know, Roman Grosjean or somebody like that just showing up to IRP or wherever, 
the night before the 500 and, and wanting to run in a figure eight race or something. Yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah it's like anybody got a, anything I can race. I'll, I'll, I mean, I mean, that's, I think, I mean, that's just how, I mean, that's just who AJ Floyd was. He, he, and, and competitive, I'm not got kind of a competitive level, right? Where he just race you. I'll race you in anything. I don't care what it is. It's got four, it's got four wheels and tires on it. Let's go. Right. <laughs> and I'll beat you. You know what I mean? And it really is a testament to how drivers were developed back then to eventually be able to race at Indianapolis. As you mentioned before, almost everybody came up through, you know, short track dirt racing or some, you know, being in, in, in USAC and then not just racing what they called champ cars back then, but then getting out of the race car and then uh, immediately, you know, they may run two races during the week before the next champ car race yeah. in dirt on a midget. And obviously those days are gone now, but uh, but it is a cool remembrance. And I've always got a kick out of that story because I think it really illustrates the fact that guys like that would literally race anything. I mean, I mean, and there's still a few, a few of those names that are familiar out there. I mean, I think, I think if you talk to a guy like Tony Stewart, he's, you know, even though he's what got to be in his mid fifties, he'd still, I think mean, he'd still race any chance he had a chance to, if he wanted to, I mean, not, not necessarily a full year circuit, but I mean, I, I, I'm sure. I mean, well, a guy like probably, Tony Stewart is definitely cut from that cloth. Um, Jeff Gordon was another guy I think that could have raced just about anything, and in in the current uh, in the current generation of drivers, I think Kyle Larson is a guy that's very much like that. And uh, I think oh, yeah. I think we're going to have the opportunity to see Kyle Larson run at Indianapolis next year. Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, everything that I've read about is that he's planning on trying to do the double again, and uh, and and, he, and he's got a lot of talent, and so. Um, obviously it just depends on where you land at equipment wise and team wise and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, certainly he has a chance to be competitive. I mean, especially if the field is anywhere as close uh, as it is this year, next year, because this year's field is incredibly tight. So, right. And we are, we're going to talk about that in a little bit and I'm going to get on a soapbox a little bit and talk about why this is the, um, best major racing series on the planet right now but before we get to that uh we had alan and i had picked our favorite 500s that that we had attended or that we had memories of uh i wanted to ask you uh right off the top of your head um number one uh what you feel like is the greatest 500 you've ever been to and then i want you to talk about just some memories you might have of other things that have happened at the track over the years. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, you know, it's hard to pick a favorite. Um, uh, my, in my first year was, uh, I think it was 1986. Uh, Bobby Rahal won that race. And the only reason I got to go was because it got rained out on Sunday and, and the people that were going to go with my dad on Monday couldn't make it. So I tagged along and made that race. So, which is good because I haven't looked back since then, but yeah, certainly, I mean, the next year, 87, when, you know, Al Unser wins his fourth, and then Cedric Mears win his fourth, and then certainly, I think everybody, uh, you, could, you could really just feel how electric the race was when, when Elio won his fourth a couple of years ago, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, um, that was, but, that was incredible. Yeah, so, I mean, you've seen a lot of, a lot of good racing, and um, it's, it's changed so much, because I, I can remember, it was, you know, we used to sit in turn two, and it was just like, you could just basically it was like a potluck to pick whoever was going to crash on the first lap because of the first lap crash, like 15 consecutive years. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Um, and so now, not, now, not so much, but yeah. So, I mean, I've been through some hot races and some cold races and some rainy races and some cold and rainy races. And so I've been, been kind of seen it all. So, Hey, will you tell Scarlett and Abe you're recording a podcast and to be quiet? I'm just going to go, I'm going to go inside. I'm 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 trying to relax on the patio, but 
they're out here chasing uh, each other around the, <laughs> each other around the yard like maniacs. So, but yeah, it's certainly, I mean, so, you know, it just kind of, it's hard to say that you pick a favorite um, race because they're, they're all pretty good races. I mean, some obviously way more competitive than the others. And it just seems like maybe like the last decade or so, the race has just gotten really competitive. Um, and there's really no like guy that runs away with it. You know what I mean? Well, don't you think that that uh, in this year's race there are well over a dozen guys that it would not be surprising in the least if they won? Yeah, because I mean, you look at the. I mean, if you look at the, I mean, the speeds. I mean, they're. And I and I remember seeing one point. I don't remember if you recall it on Saturday, um, when uh, Ed Carpenter and Tony Kanaan had the exact same four lap <laughs> i know i did see that i mean what, what are the odds of that right i mean 10 miles around that beast four laps and they turn the exact same four mile you know four lap average and so yeah i mean it's it's so it's i mean i certainly had some races that were more memorable than others and then and, and some that i would like to forget you know we were, had some some years when we saw some really really nasty accidents and, and unfortunately i haven't been at the track and, and then certainly safety has been a big factor about why you know, guys aren't getting killed and hopefully that'll never happen again. But certainly the year that Stan Fox crashed was a bad year and that was just cra- crash after crash after crash. And uh, we were sitting in turn two then for that crash that happened in the short shoot. And so when that, that, that all happened right in front of us and you're like, there's no way that guy's alive and by the grace of God he was. But Well, and so. I think that – and. Alan and I did talk about it last week, the safety improvements, not only on the cars, but on the track itself uh, with the development of the safer barrier, um, which Tony George and uh, IMS had a, I mean, they basically are at the forefront of uh, putting that whole program together, which has saved countless lives on super speedways since it's uh, been implemented. But to your point about how close uh, these cars were in speed, the difference between making the race this year and not making the race was something like <laughs> when it was done in uh, photographic where, where, where they could, uh, they put two cars together. Where you, anyway, it was about like two inches over 10 miles. The difference between first and second place this year was four one thousandths of a second over for a four lap lap time. Four one thousandths of a second. And you know, the fact that not only do we have that in qualifying, but the sheer number of passes we've had over the last, as you mentioned, the last decade or so, how many cars are on the lead lap anymore? at the end of the race um, and then how close the finishes have been over the last eight to 10 years. And right. you don't go into it going, well, there's only two teams that have a chance to finish first, second, and third, which is the major issue I have with formula one, <laughs> as I'm sure that most people out there listening do. Um, to me, it there's no question it's the most competitive and the most exciting major sporting, uh, you know, major auto racing series in the world right now. Well, without a doubt, yeah. I mean, and you just, I mean, and, and, and so it's not only just the product that's on the track, but then, I mean, the, the 500 is about the entire day, right? It's about the experience of, of everything that has to do with the 500 and, and all the pre-race activities and and the crowds and the people and, and the diversity of you know of i mean like we got i counted earlier and there's drivers from 14 different countries in the race this year and yeah so, I, I believe it's know, it's the first yeah. time ever that the uh the entire front row is european if i'm not mistaken yes so and you see and then you add you know all the, the pop and circumstance and the pageantry and all the traditions of the 500 um that are involved and, you know, obviously the parade before the race of, of the old cars and, and then whatever celebrities, you know, they've managed to line up. But that's, I think, an area where I would certainly think they could focus some energy on trying to attract some bigger names. But 
Um, and, and so you get to see all that and then you get all the, the pre-race traditions of, as you know, of, uh, of the bands and, and, uh, you know, God bless America and, and certainly back home again in Indiana and, sure. and, and gentlemen, start your engines and, and, and just that energy of like that first energy, you, you know, the, the gentlemen start your engines and you get the goosebumps and then the, and then the, you know, and then the field comes around for the first, you know, parade lot nice and slow and everybody's going nuts. And, and you look and there's just, I mean, there's people as far as you can see. I mean, and, and like, this is, this is probably the best event you can go to. And if you haven't been, you have to go. I mean, you'll get hooked. You'll go one time and you'll get hooked. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how I feel. I mean, every year, uh, just just as you described, I mean, there are those stages of things that you know are coming, and every time that it happens, to me, it's as special as the first time I ever saw it when I was a kid, and that's part of of of, of what what makes it so special. But but honestly, it's not just the day of the five hundred. Much like uh, the Kentucky Derby here, there's a weeks long, if not a month long, build up. Right. to the actual race where the city just takes on an entirely different feel. Right. And, I mean, obviously, you, you've been, you know that they used to, I mean, literally it was the month of May because practice started the first weekend in May. Right. Um, and people were here, and that was when the vendors were up and down Georgetown Road and 16th Street for the whole month. And, and when we had 150,000 people on Saturday qualifications, I can remember that as a kid having to get up at 4 in the morning in Bloomington because they had general admission seating then and, you know, driving up to try and get a good seats in turn one for qualifications because it was packed. But, you know, and I can understand why they don't do it anymore. Obviously, it's incredibly expensive for to to feed and house race teams for a month, you know. Um, right. So, I, I get all that. And so, uh, but, I mean, you think about IMS or you think about the Motor Speedway and, and the tradition involved there, and, and I would, not that I'm, you know, I'm far from as big of a NASCAR fan as I used to be because, they just don't put out a good product, um, frankly. And so, and you could, you know, I think we talked about that the other night when they were at, at North Wilkesboro, you know. And so, but anyway, you know, when, when they announced that the Brickyard was coming, obviously, and then you know, that was a, a huge race. But those guys all said, I mean, these are NASCAR drivers, right? They, some of whom never even thought about driving any car or, or at all, but they all said that, hey, other than Daytona, this is the race they wanted to win. Right. At, at the Brickyard 400, right? At IMS, I want to win at Indianapolis, and so they and they weren't talking about winning an Indy car because they, the vast majority of them never, never had any intention or, or never would would think about entering the 500. But they were there with a the stock car, and they still thought, I have to win at Indianapolis. Right, and yeah, that, I mean that's what made that that situation so unique is that it was a race with literally no history, no tradition. But it was about where the race was. Right. They right. wanted they to win it. at Indy. And they sold it out for a number of years when they still put a good product out there. Um, but that's neither here nor there at that point. But uh, I'm really surprised that more NASCAR guys don't want to race at Indy. I just, but I mean, I understand they've got commitments to their sponsors and, and they're making good money. So, right. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to see what Kyle Larson can do. And uh, I think he's an incredibly talented young driver and, and, yeah, and he's the type of driver who, who can win at any but yeah you're right I mean I, I don't know I mean it's a wide open field this year I couldn't even I mean and so I'm happy to see that AJ Foyt Enterprises has got two cars in the top 12 that's exciting um, they got a young rookie kid who can drive lights out he's got a chance to win the race um, absolutely just, and uh, so uh, that's Benjamin Peterson that you're talking about um, uh, AJ's other driver uh Peterson starts, uh, where does he start? He starts in the middle of row four. Um, Santino Ferrucci, who is one of my favorite personalities out at the track. I've had a couple opportunities to interact with him, and uh, he's been just dynamite to be around and funny. Uh, he starts in row two, and it's right. been a long time since AJ had I mean, let alone two cars. It's been a long time since AJ had a legitimate shot to win the 500, and he has two this year, which is super cool. Right. 
Yeah, and, and so I mean, if somebody told me to, you know, hey, hey pick, pick a favorite, I'd probably just pass because it's hard. I mean, it's just that's the thing is that you know, and I was I was talking to some buddies uh, on Fast Friday uh, at the track, and um, and just talking about how hard it is to win this race, and because especially now, I mean, it's it, it, they're traveling and the lap times are so fast now that I mean, you can't even afford to lose a second or two in the pits, honestly. No, because that's because I mean, two seconds is as half of a straightaway, and so everything just has to go right. You got to, you just got to. So many things have to fall in place. Obviously, tracks, you know, track position is important. You know, tire wear is important. Fuel is important. Pit stops are gravely important. And then you just need a little bit of dumb luck too. Everyone wants to to avoid, you know, some some bad things. And so, I, you know, it's crazy because they were talking. Uh, uh, on Peacock the other day about it's been like I can't even remember like a long long time since they've had any multi-car accidents in the 500 that had some single car crashes but unlike NASCAR where you're just cruising along doing nothing wrong and then next thing you know half the field's you know crushed up the, and spinning around and, and you didn't do it so the incident uh, that we had uh on Monday with Stefan Wilson and Catherine Legg was the first was the first multi-car incident at the track and i think at least five years i'm gonna say like 2016 is what i heard okay so like seven years since there was yeah. a multi, multi-car accident yeah right so was, I, obviously indy cars you know come a long way with safety and 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 the, and the quality of the car and, and i mean those guys can just put their foot on the floor and they know that car's gonna stick to the track i mean there's just no and so it's one of those things where you know, the, the person who doesn't understand racing be like, aren't those guys scared to death? And I'm like, no, they're not because they know that that car is going to stick to the, stick to the track and they're going to be fine <laughs> because that's the car. That's the product they built. Right. And so, um, yeah. And so they, they're not, I mean, you look at, you look at those trap speeds, you know, that 242, 243 miles per hour going to turn one. You're like, and, and, and you're like, he doesn't even lift. <laughs> you know I mean? Just well, I mean, I watching, the drivers may not be frightened, but it certainly yeah. uh, frightens the hell out of me. Well, then you watch the in-car <laughs> cam and, and Travis. There, I mean, they they barely even turn the wheel. Oh I mean, yeah, just, I know. I mean, just barely even turn the wheel. So I'm excited for the race. Obviously, um, you know, Indiana in May. You never know, but we've been. Certainly been lucky with some really fantastic weather the last few years. Looks like this year's coming up as well too, because that's a long day when it's ninety degrees. So yes, y- yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I want to run down just quickly some some names and where they're going to be starting in the race this year. Like I said, there's well over a dozen guys that have a legitimate shot, if not more. Um, front row is Alex Pillow. Renus VK, uh, who runs for uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, who Ed Carpenter happens to be my favorite driver uh, at Indianapolis. Felix Rosenquist uh, on the outside of row one. In row two, Santino Ferrucci, who we mentioned before, uh, drives for A.J. Foyt. Uh, Pato Award, uh, the first, or actually, that's not true. Felix Rosenquist uh, runs for Errol McLaren. Uh, so Pato Award, another Errol McLaren uh, car. Scott Dixon, uh, a legend around those parts. Uh, on the outside of row two for Chip Ganassi. Uh, two-time winner Takuma Sato is, on the, is in the middle of row three. Uh, running for Chip Ganassi this year. It has a, maybe his, on paper, his best chance to ever win the race, even though he's already won it twice. Uh, Tony Kanon and what he says will be his last 500 uh, is on the outside of row three uh, for McLaren, which is, I think is super cool. There was a, when he made that, that run to give himself uh, that spot in the race, uh, I happened to be outside, just outside of the grandstands. And I knew something special had happened before, I knew something special had happened just because it was a very unique indie roar, which, which 
you def after you've spent enough time up there, when that happens, you can tell it's something special, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're good. I mean, all, all those guys you mentioned, I think all, you know, you just gotta have everything kind of fall into place. And I mean, you, you, who knows? I think you mentioned Takuma Sato. That's uh, we talk about being fearless. There's a guy who will just absolutely. Yeah. He'll, I mean, he'll stick it in there. Know, yeah. I mean, absolutely. He's, he's, just, <laughs> he's just gonna put his foot on the floor and he's not gonna stop until somebody tells him the race is over. So, um, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, you were there the year that he, I mean, he was trying to win the year that he put himself down, down too low yep. to one and, and he learned a, a very viable lesson, a very hard way. But, um, <laughs> sometimes that's what it takes, right? You gotta that, be one that's to, right. you gotta be to live, on, live on the edge to win that race. And so, um, I, I think it'll be a competitive race again. Um, and should be, you know, who knows? I mean, just, you never know. I mean, would it be awesome to see some guy win it for, you know, five times, sure, but I, I just based on what I saw over the weekend from Castro Neves, I think he's going to need a lot of help. Yeah, uh, to, that, to that, that race, and so that team has really struggled this year. He starts in the middle of row seven. Uh, yeah. Colton Herta, uh, who was kind of a lot of people's, I think, uh, um, you know, pick to click before qualifying, uh, starts outside of him. Um, Marco Andretti, uh, is outside of row eight. Um, right. but, I mean, you just, you just never know. I mean, cause you know, the, the outside person or, you know, the non-race person, certainly the non-indie person would say, well, why wouldn't the guys in the front row were fastest win the race? And I, I would say, well, if that's the case, Ed Carpenter should have won this race four or five times, right? <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Because <laughs> he was, he's been fast and consistently fast you know, for five, six, seven, eight consecutive years, he's starting in the first or second row and just cannot, you know, he gets caught up in a crash, you know, or, you know, he gets, or has, you know, I think he's got caught up in a couple of crashes that weren't his fault. And, um, and the next thing you know, your, your day's over. So, um, yeah, and so it just takes... I'm glad that you brought him up because I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I said, I've picked Ed, to win this race the last four or five years and he's either been on the pole or in the first two rows this year he starts on the inside of row five in the 13th position he was the last car that did not make the fast 12 and this would be the year where he would win the race yeah and so <laughs> I, mean, I mean i mean castro didn't start anywhere close to the front when he won his fourth um right just, it's just being a veteran and, and knowing that it's a 200 lap race and you know it's like it's like April in baseball right you can't you can't win it in the first 10 laps if you can lose it and so just hang out there's no doubt put yourself in position to you know really it's like how do we get how do we get two or three or four positions better every every pit interval you know right like if we can move up four move up four spots before our first pit like move up another couple spots before our next pit and then just kind of keep chopping away at the field um, to put yourself in a position to win. But it's, and so I was listening to an interview about Tony Kanan, you know, the year that he won and, and there was a bunch of discussion when they had a restart with like, I don't know, three laps to go or something like that um, about where he wanted to be. Like, do you want, do you want to be, you want to let this guy go Tony and be second or do you want to start first? And, and Tony said, I'm a race car driver. I was going to be in the goddamn front. <laughs> That's right. Like, uh, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the front. And if the other guy figures out a way to beat me, he beats me. Why would I, so I want to be in the front. And he, I mean, obviously there was a, they had a crash of the caution that finished under, under, finished under yellow that year. But, right. um, but yeah, I, I just got to chuckle out of that. Cause he's like, idiot. Of course I want to be in the front. And, and so, but I mean, I think that's because, you know, there's such a, a good aero package now with these cars that, you know, maybe who knows? Maybe you do. We want to be second or third, kind of like Ace in the old days of NASCAR. You know, you don't want to be in the front because some guy's going to draft around you, type of scenario. And so, right. That's why we see. That's why we see. Like what? You know, first turn passes for ten straight laps. You know, it's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, trying to you know figure out who, who's going to make a move. And right, and, uh, and especially since they've uh, they are trying to discourage that dragon or snake move that. Marcus Erickson pulled last year to try to break the draft where he was just snaking all the way down the front stretch. Right. right. <laughs> you you might not be able to do that anymore. 
So a, a hard charger from the back might be uh, might be better served uh, this year and and in the races to come. You mentioned earlier uh, your first race having been when Bobby Rahal won. Uh, I would be remiss to not mention that his son Graham was the only driver. There were 34 entries for 33 spots this year, and uh, Graham was bumped at the very end of qualifying on Sunday. And unfortunately, I'm fortunately for him, but unfortunately, uh, gosh, that's a kind of a weird way to say it, but he is, in fact, in the race because of an unfortunate injury to Stefan Wilson that occurred on Monday uh, during practice. I was reminded when Graham missed the race initially that his father, the exact same thing happened to his dad. I think it was in, what, about 1993? 30 years ago. Yes, 30 years ago. Okay. Um, Bobby missed the race that year. And I just find that one of those interesting 500- you know, one of those weird things that happens around the 500 that people will be talking about for a long time is father well, and son both missed the race 30 years apart. I mean, I mean the entire Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan story this month is just odd. Right? Yes. And yes. so you've got, you've got this team where obviously, uh, and people, if people don't know, you know Bobby Ray Hall uh, has made more money uh, selling cars in Dublin, Ohio, than he ever made an IndyCar. Right. Um, so, <laughs> right. Um, I mean, millions upon millions of dollars. So money wasn't the problem for that team, right? And so you, you sit and you scratch your head and you're like, how can they not figure out what in the hell is going on this month? You know, because they were slow last month in April during the testing session. Sure. And knew, knew they had a problem. And so you think that, like, you got all these engineers and all these people and, and all things and all things being equal, the equipment's about the same, right? Chassis, you either got a Honda or a Chevy engine and Yep. And it's and it's like how can and and how are you guys so much slower than everybody else? I mean badly slower. You know, like what what what's the problem? We can't figure it out. And so I mean they knew and Graham had said it multiple times that that he knew he was in trouble this month. Um, and in fact I think you had heard that he'd made some comments earlier this month about not being happy with the team, even though his dad owns it, and right, and and not being content um, at whatever. I think he's thirty five or thirty six years old now, something like that. You know, he's not. I'm not. He's, he said, "I'm not happy around twentieth every week." Um, and so, I would be surprised if you don't see him, you know, making a, sh- a change next year. But that's just, you know, it was weird that they were just so slow and they just couldn't couldn't figure it out. You know, kind of like, um, and then obviously, like you said, with the the Stephen Wilson crash, and so, um, and I'm sure there was. A lot of money and a lot of a lot of lawyers involved between Monday afternoon and Tuesday afternoon to figure out how we were going to get this guy to come drive for us. Sure. We're not, you know, I'm for driving Reinbold Racing, so obviously, but um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm happy that Graham's in the race. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a professional. Um, I don't know that he has a chance to win, but um, but that's also <laughs> that's also a cool thing that uh, I think is unique to Indianapolis is that uh, Graham comes over to drive a Chevrolet, even though he's a Honda driver for the rest of the, for the rest of the series. And I, I don't think, I don't think you see that level of cooperation in many other races than this one. No, no, but obviously, I mean, obviously driving Rumble wants their car in the race and, they want to have the best chance possible to win and because and they've got a lot of time and money invested. So the sponsors and um, I was surprised to see that, you know, some, some guys that had driven for Grand Rumble before Sage Karam and J.R. Hildebrand, a couple of names that come to mind that uh, they didn't get, a, get an opportunity to, to pass their, you know, their, their reorientation, you know, through the speedway and, and get a chance to drive that car. But I mean, that's, it's a business decision likely. And that's what happened. But um, and Graham's got a shop out here in Brownsburg, and of course, and you know he's married to Courtney Force. Um, right, right. His dad, and then so John, and Courtney's dad, John Force, is obviously a, an NHRA legend. Um, I, I live about um, three miles north of, of Indianapolis Raceway Park, where they have the U.S. Nationals uh, dragster races every year, and so 
uh, John Force Racing's got a huge shop out here in Brownsburg. It's their headquarters. So um, we're starting to see a lot of new racing shops pop up out here. And so I know, which which I think is super cool. It kind of harkens back to even a time before us when so many of those race teams had big shops right there in Speedway. Well, Ray Hall, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, they built a new shop up in Zionsville. Uh, Andretti broke ground on a new big place up in Fishers. And so I was, I was always curious about why, like, we never saw, like, you know, when, when that, that main street and south side of the track and speedway where those warehouses and, and factories and stuff were at, why that just become like a big racing hub for all these teams. But at least they're starting to come back local and, and, and that kind of stuff, which is, which is all good. But, um, yeah, and yeah, that so. and and that that uh that local tie is always something that I think as I mentioned before, it it had always been around the speedway and then maybe left for a while, but it certainly seems to be coming back. And so many of these drivers now live in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically year round, which is yeah. awesome. Right. Right. And, I mean, cuz I can remember plenty of times as a kid and so you know um my dad always you know, you know instilled in me like listen if you, if you see somebody famous out at a restaurant or whatever don't bother them they're not there to be a celebrity they're to have dinner with their family type right of scenario, you know? right yes and obviously us growing up in bloomington having john mellencamp and his wife elaine the supermodel and you see him at the mall or whatever and so but there's a little uh there's a little uh, breakfast place down on main street in speedway called charlie brown's and, indeed uh, it's been there for you know I, I don't even know longer than i've been here and so and of course you know the inside hasn't changed in forever um and the memorabilia packed on the walls and the photos and stuff but it wasn't you could go down there on any given practice day in may uh when i was a kid and had breakfast and you'd see drivers in there you know um all the time and so um you know not as easy anymore because there's so much money involved and and even if guys want to try and live normal lives, it's pretty hard to because there's a camera in their face all the time. But Right. Um, and for yeah. for people uh, that aren't familiar with Indianapolis but that are familiar with uh, the Kentucky Derby, I would equate Charlie Brown's very much to Wagner's right outside of Churchill Downs uh, where you can go eat breakfast at any given time and you might see uh, you know a two- or three-time derby-winning trainer sitting at a table, you know, two spots away from you it's it's very sure. similar very similar sure and i, I can and so uh i want to tell you an, another great uh, memory story if, uh, about 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 ims and i was a senior in high school uh, and this is back when carb day was still on thursday uh, before they moved it to friday yep and uh so my brother and i and a few of our buddies um they all met up at my house in Bloomington and, uh, my mom cooked us all breakfast. Um, and then we all loaded up in the car, uh, and skipped school that day to go to carb day. Um, and, and that so was kind of a thing to do. Actually, I was talking to a yeah. friend of mine last night cause me and my friends did the exact same thing when we were seniors. It was kind of a thing where it was almost like an excused absence, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, the funny thing was, is that I think three of us, um, of the group that went, um, of course, on Friday morning, we all had the same first period uh, algebra class with uh, a guy, uh, Mr. Grewer, Don Grewer was from Scotland. And so we all show up there, um, you know, just sunburnt and tired as hell because of uh, the <laughs> all day, you know what I mean? And so he's like, oh, you know, you, you, of course, in this, I'm going to do the worst Scottish accent ever. He's like, oh, yeah, you, you lads look really, really sick. You, sh- you look fevers. All of you are red. You have fevers. <laughs> but we, we spent, you know, we spent the whole day at the track, and and so, um, but that was, I mean, that was back when, I mean, it was, well, like I said, it was the whole month. You, would, you could just go up on, you know, and they had practice every day, right? Right. So, right. For, and so you just go up there, and they would, then they would run all day long. So, um, but man, I can remember that was. And I think that was, you know, I can remember, you know, some really, just really, you know, awful crashes and the Scotty Brayton one comes to mind too. And it's like, right. You talk about, you talk about safer barriers before and you're like, yes. you watch that, you watch that accident, you know, and you're like, we have a safer barrier in place. He gets up and walks out of that car. Yep. You know what I mean? Just without a doubt. Like, because you, um, and I remember the Ed Carpenter crash from a few years ago. It's like, right. it, it was like, the, it was like the exact same crash. Right. 
and ends upside down flying he's going down the back stretch he's probably got to be doing 150 miles on his head um and, and he gets out of the car and walks away so um yeah yeah so thank that, god just, for uh for the safety innovations that we've seen and that we continue to see and i yeah. hope i hope as I knock on the master control desk here, I hope that on Sunday we have a clean and right. very safe race. Before I let you get out of here, Eric, um, I would be remiss if I did not put you on the spot and ask you who is going to win the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Well, I mean, I think if you, if you, if you told me I had to write down a couple of names, uh, I think experience matters, and they've got good teams, and they've got good equipment. And so I think you have to put Alexander Rossi and Takuma Sato on your shortlist. I would. Uh, I am in complete agreement with that. Uh, I think I might have Sato as my number one pick. Uh, I'm going to take Ed Carpenter as my pick uh, with my heart, and. Uh, and then I'm going to uh, I'm going to go down the list a little bit, and I'm going to say that I think uh, Ryan Hunter Ray. I don't think he'll win the race, but I think he's going to have a very successful day. Well, I think that, like I said, I think it, it, it just matters to have experience there and to be able to control your emotions and realize what a long race it is, and and not do anything stupid early on. It's going to cost you a chance to win the race. Um, and that's really what I think that's really what it comes down to. And, and I'm not, I'm talking, you know, don't uh, certainly getting caught speeding on pit road is, is fatal. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, yes. And so, and you're all amped up cause you're a rookie and it's like, you know, maybe, maybe you, yeah. And so, or, and you know, as we just, saw last year, you do not have to be a rookie to make that mistake. No. And, and so it just, it just to, to realize how long the race is and to put yourself in a good position to win it. And I think, the guys that have done it before and the guys with experience add that to the good equipment that they've got, and they're just going to be hard to beat. I mean, yep, I would, I would agree. Versus the guy that's going to try and run away with it in the first twenty laps, and and so you know, and and because you have to look at all that, how how because as you know, I mean, obviously, so many factors go into how that car works, right? Uh, you know, what's the temperature of the track? What's the wind? Sure. What are, what's, how are my tires wearing? How am I balancing the weight of the car? How do I run on a long run versus a short run as my car gets lighter because I'm burning up fuel? And so, to, and that's obviously why those engineers make so much money, but they're looking at all that data. And so that's why it's a hard risk to win. And, um, but it's, it's a wide open field, Travis. It really is. I mean, it's just, I, I'm excited because I, I think this is the tightest field and the best field we've had in a long time um, with just a ton of quality and a ton of experience and a ton of good equipment. Um, but certainly you have to look at, I mean, you got to look at Carpenter Racing and you got to look at Errol McLaren uh, as two teams that have clearly shown that, and Chip Ganassi, obviously third, um, three teams that have shown like, listen, we're bringing our A game, guys. All of our drivers, they're all, they're all bringing their A games and, and let's, let's, you know, let's run this race and see what happens. So, And I cannot tell you how excited I am. This is the, this is the point in the month of May where I probably get my most excited, but then that sense of dread also starts to come over me that, man, next week this is all over, and then we have to wait for it for a whole nother year. Right. <laughs> but that's what makes it so great, right? It is. I mean, it is. That's what makes it so great. I mean, it's like... It is. It's like you, It's like when you, you finish that, that fine bottle of bourbon and you have to wait till the next one and just... You're like, you're, it's like, man, that was good. Well, <laughs> so. I've never known you to have to wait for a for a year before you get your next fine bottle of bourbon. Personally, well, well, that I mean, that would be a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking <laughs> of fine bourbon, Eric, I cannot wait uh, to see you this weekend. You and I will be tipping back uh, a bourbon or six over the weekend. Um, yeah. I want to thank I mean, you. I'm, I'm looking forward, Travis, before we go, I'm looking forward to, um, uh, our, you know, our, our filet and shrimp cocktail and Manhattan dinner like, or Manhattan breakfast, like everybody else who goes to track does. Right? Well, I'm glad that I'm glad you brought that up because I actually had that written down in my notes as one thing I wanted to talk about. 
uh, as something that, that we have done. Now, typically, uh, over the last several years, it's myself, it's Eric, his twin brother, Ryan, uh, his father that we spoke about before, Eric's son, Keaton, Ryan's son, Jackson. Um, and we get up on Sunday morning, and you mentioned it, but uh, tell the people again what our Sunday morning breakfast consists of pre-race. So pre 100th anniversary, we were doing you know the bratwurst and and pasta salad, you know tailgating type of meal. And then for the 100th anniversary of the 500, we said, hey, it's only going to be the 100th one time. Let's dress this thing up a little bit. So we did uh, some fillets, some shrimp cocktail with uh, the world famous fiery St. Elmo horseradish sauce. Uh, and then we threw some Manhattans together, you know, a gentleman's cocktail. And so that's been our tradition every year to eat that meal about 1030 in the morning before we lit up the coolers and, and leave at 11 o'clock for the race. So um, certainly a little bit different than, you know, turkey sandwiches and, uh, <laughs> uh, or, or whatever else, you know, people have decided to pack for the race. Well, and, and, you know, that's, that's fine. But uh, We might and, eat and, the steaks at 1030, but we typically uh, – we typically are sipping on that Manhattan about eight thirty a.m. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's with a couple of Krispy Kremes, so because that's, <laughs> that's what the, the good Lord intended, right? And so, um, but yeah, it's just been our. It's been, and, and honestly, the only reason that really is happening now is because they've moved the race back from eleven a.m. to to twelve forty-five. I think twelve thirty-five or twelve forty-five. Right. Flag now, so right. I opened up. A, so I saw that as an opportunity to not have to pack a bunch of food and lug it all to the track. Let's just eat before we leave. So. Um, and that yeah, so is like, that's a tradition that has become something that I hope that uh, gets passed down over the generations to to our kids or whatever. That maybe they'll all get together and go to the five hundred and they'll go, man. Remember when Dad and uh, Uncle Ryan and Travis we used to come out here and grill steaks at eight in the morning? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you got to eat either way, right? And and the 500 is only once a year, so why not splurge a little bit? Because you got a whole other year to save your money. I so, I couldn't agree more. I could not yeah, agree I mean, more. Eric, well, do you well, have well, do you have any other uh, final thoughts here before we get out of here no, tonight? No, uh, I get excited when about four days out when I look at the race forecast and it says 78 degrees. Oh man, um, I know. I can't I'm, wait. I'm not sure how much beer I'm going to drink. I just know I'm going to drink all of it. <laughs> 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 well, I cannot wait, man. I uh, Talking to you tonight gets me even more pumped up. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to uh, remind everybody that we will be recording a normal uh, all-sports episode of the Blockout Sports Pod uh, tomorrow night with uh, release on Friday as usual. Um, can't hey, wait. Thing, yep, sure. Thing, Travis, before we wrap it up. Since uh, since he didn't join us tonight, um, and, but he'll probably listen to this, I wanted to tell Jerry to kiss my ass. <laughs> he'll take that under consideration. I will mention that to him uh, when we sit down to record uh, tomorrow. Uh, that's a perfect that's a perfect way to close this episode. Eric Pittner, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, for Eric and all of us here at the Blockout Sports Pod, I want to uh, wish you a happy Memorial Day weekend, a happy Indy 500 race day, and as always, so long, everybody.